0: Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. God is announcing judgment upon the nation of Judah. They are tragically going to be ravaged by the Babylonians' And they will be cast out of the promised land. Yet these same people of Judah are supposed to be the people of God. They have been exposed to God's truth like no other nation upon earth. They have the temple in Jerusalem where God reveals his presence to them which he does to no other people in such a way. They have prophets sent to them with direct messages from God's heavenly throne. They possess the scriptures, the infallible revelation of God to men. They are in special covenant with God. They are those who can be called the children of God. The sign of their covenant relationship to God is their being circumcised. So they are a highly privileged people. Who should be so close to the Lord. And yet they are coming under his fierce Anger. What has happened? These people claim to follow God, but they are actually outside of God's kingdom. They glory in the things which non believers glory in, they glory in human wisdom in political alliances and military might. And they glory in earthly riches. And so God's word to them is, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the wisdom of this world. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, strength of armies. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Verse 24. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And so we note there. That the Lord delights in judgment as well as in loving kindness. Churches today need to realise that. Now, the people were claiming to believe in God. But they were not glorying in God. They were not making him the basis of their security and national well-being. They were going through certain religious motions, but their real glory was in their man-made philosophy, their political correctness. And the nation was not taking seriously God's warnings of impending judgment. They had little awareness of their own sin they had no apprehension that God really would cast them out of the promised land. They thought that they could deal with their enemies through their politics and diplomacy, their financial resources and their carefully cultivated alliances. They failed to realise that it is God who Determines what will happen to nations who determines the outcome of battles they did not listen to God's words spoken through Jeremiah what a blessing to have Jeremiah in their midst but they spurned that blessing in short the faith of Judah the religion of Judah was bogus it was not the real thing. They were religious, in character, but they were far off from God. And so the situation of Judah in Jeremiah's day reminds us very much of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 5, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So notice there that rulers and governments are specifically described by the Apostle Paul as not knowing the true wisdom of God. And so often this is the case in every generation. The true gospel is utterly at variance with the wisdom of men. A faith, therefore, which exalts human wisdom above scripture... The word of God will always be a false faith and since particularly the latter half of the 19th century and right up to the present day we have seen in our own nation the exaltation of human wisdom above the word of God and it particularly began this whole trend uh, with churches embracing the teachings of Charles Darwin. The Origin of Species came out in 1869, and within a few years of its publication, most churches had accepted evolutionary theory in preference to the historical nature of the early chapters of Genesis. The wisdom of this world. The churches were concerned, especially in the Victorian period when uh, it was thought that science was going to take us into a brave new world. Um, The churches were concerned to maintain an intellectual respectability. So they felt they had to embrace the ideas of Darwin and others about a very old earth and about the evolutionary process, the wisdom of this world. And if we look at the church scene today, we tragically see many churches, and we don't say this with any kind of glee, but we see many churches incorporating the world's wisdom into their message and even evangelical churches are guilty of this even so called evangelicals are beginning to embrace the lgbt agenda uh, and many have already embraced the feminist agenda and so There is this great temptation for churches to prove their relevance to the modern world by imitating what the world is saying. And and it's always happened in every generation, but particularly in our own. In, In the early 20th century, socialism and communism were intellectually fashionable, particularly in the universities and many churches. Uh, began to embrace those philosophies. Uh, And this is what led really to the collapse of Methodism. Uh, Methodism embraced socialism and abandoned the true gospel. And so the Christian faith became the pursuit of social equality. The sin was the sin of the capitalists. And so it is. The church embraced human wisdom. And if we look at much contemporary Christianity, so-called, it actually owes more to a Beatles-style adulation of love than it does to what the word of God actually teaches. The gospel has been reduced to a secularist message of all you need is love. But that is not the gospel. Indeed, there are professing Christians today who would openly deny the total authority of all scripture. And they would certainly deny that God is a judge who casts the unrepentant into hell. They do, however, believe in equality, democracy, world peace and human rights. And look how quickly, for example, how quickly so many churches embraced the Black Lives Matter movement, although it was was an openly anti-Christian Marxist movement. And so we see that the churches are always prone to give way to the philosophy of the moment. Many teach that God has an unconditional love for all. But the Bible actually states that God's mercy and forgiveness are conditional upon repentance and faith. God's love for the sinner is not automatically received. Luke 13, verse 3, for example, and it's repeated in Luke 13:5. except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's the statement of a conditional. That's not unconditional love. But there is this temptation to market the gospel to make it more acceptable to men. There is a temptation to fashion the way we worship, to make it acceptable to the non-believer. That's the last thing Christians should be doing. If we make our worship pleasing to the unregenerate man, you can be sure that it will be worship that's not pleasing to God. The people of Judah here in Jeremiah's day, presumed upon God's ongoing favour towards them. They gloried in their human wisdom, but they did not glory in understanding and knowing Almighty God. They professed faith in God, but they did not know him at all. We read in verse 25 here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Now, unlike the other nations, Judah is especially characterised, as we've already mentioned, by the rite of circumcision. Because this is the one nation which is in formal covenant with God. Yet, it is this circumcised nation which is now coming under judgment along with the uncircumcised. They are going to be cast out of the promised land. Now, the Gentile nations were not in covenant with God. They were idolaters. They were steeped in wickedness and unbelief. But God declares here that Judah is going to be judged along with these uncircumcised nations. And so this verse 25 is God declaring, I will punish all who are circumcised outwardly, but actually, in reality, they are uncircumcised. They are just like the rest of men, they are not born again, they are unregenerate, they're not true believers. They were circumcised outwardly in their bodies, but they were uncircumcised in their hearts. Their physical circumcision had no corresponding spiritual reality attached to it, because it was only an outward sign of course. And so God is going to punish them. They claimed to be followers of the Lord, but they actually had no desire to serve him at all. And so they were physically circumcised, but spiritually uncircumcised. And, it, and it's important this terminology because it's it's used in the New Testament. Christian believers are described in the New Testament as those who are spiritually circumcised. The people of Judah were outwardly virtuous, but inwardly corrupt. This reminds us of Paul's words in Romans 9:6. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Their circumcision did not make them true believers. Now, this rite and ceremony was a very important religious act. God commanded it. But the mere undergoing of it made no one a true believer. Paul says this in Romans 2 and verse 28. Romans 2 verse 28. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is That circumcision, true circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. So, men need circumcised hearts. And in the Old Testament context, not just circumcised bodies become a true Israelite a son of Abraham had to have a circumcised heart and as we have said the New Testament applies the concept of circumcision to Christian believers so we have to understand this Philippians 3 verse 3 Philippians 3 verse 3 writing to Christian believers Paul says We are the circumcision. Which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. So those today who believe in Christ, whether they be Jew or Gentile, are called in the New Testament the circumcised. Because there has taken place in their heart the very change which was signified and symbolised by the Old Testament rite. Now, baptism has replaced circumcision as the outward sign of being in covenant with God. But baptism and circumcision generally symbolise exactly the same thing. Baptism speaks of inward impurity being washed away circumcision speaks of it being cut away but the point is that both ordinances depict the removal of a man's sinful nature in the power of the Holy Spirit both depict what happens when someone turns from sin, believes in Christ and receives the Holy Spirit to dwell within. Now just as it was possible to be circumcised yet not to be a true Israelite, so it is possible today to be baptised yet not to be A true Christian. Many claim to be Christians, yet their hearts have never been circumcised. The Lord says, as we read here in verse 25, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. So the Lord says that he will punish the physically circumcised alongside the outright idolatrous unbelievers of the Gentile nations. The Lord is saying to the people of Judah that their outward circumcision is meaningless because it has no corresponding inward reality. And so as the Lord looks down, he can see no difference between the people of Judah and the Gentile nations. And there should be a difference, an enormous difference. And so it is with the Christian church today, there should be a total difference between us and the world, a separation. The very word church in the Greek is ecclesia, which means called out. Christians have been called out of the world. We're not part of it. So the last thing Christians should do is go to the world for guidance. And yet, for example, in the early 1990s, the then Archbishop of Canterbury said regarding the ordination of women, He said, the world will never forgive us if we do not go ahead with it. And so the world's philosophy was made the yardstick of what the church should do. And that is exactly what is being taught against here. Verse 26. Egypt and Judah... And Edom, and the children of Ammon and Moab, and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised. And then notice what is said at the end of verse 26. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. They are all uncircumcised in the heart. And notice there in verse 26 how the name of the nation of Judah is just placed among a list of Gentile nations. It's not special. It's not God's covenant people. They are uncircumcised effectively. They're uncircumcised in heart. You see, God saw through the emptiness of their outward faith. And he likewise today sees through empty Christian professions. The Christian faith is the religion of a pure heart not of conformity to the world. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they and they alone shall see God. God will reject professing Christians who are not circumcised in their hearts, who are not truly born again. Christianity is heart religion thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart it's not the performance of religious routines and rituals it is loving god from the heart and serving him from the heart psalm 51 verse 6 thou desirest truth in the inward parts. The same Psalm, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God is warning today, I will punish all who are outwardly baptised, yet to in their hearts remain unbaptized. Uncleansed, still harbouring and loving the practice of sin. When we were witnessing at the last London Pride Parade, which was in 2019, we had in front of us people with dog collars on supporting the parade, abandoning scripture. Embracing the fashion of the day. You see, the world has this great attraction to many who profess to be Christians. And many do not want to upset the world. Now, the circumcised Jews to whom Jeremiah is speaking these words thought that they were in communion with God. But in fact, they had never undergone any real conviction of sin. They remained wedded to the wisdom of this world. And this world is constantly promoting alien anti-Christian philosophies. The modern world is reverting to an old-style paganism and the worship of mother earth and this is what is uh, behind the whole climate change net zero policies and yet so many churches have openly embraced the green agenda and of course they cleverly fashion it in christian sounding terms or we've got to be good stewards of God's creation they say but what they are actually doing is following the world's agenda the people of Judah in Jeremiah's time they said they loved God but they had no real love for God in their hearts no realisation of the demanding requirements of God's holy law they had no Desire to be holy people and yet they called themselves the people of God and we have to be very wary of a false pseudo bogus Christianity we must be wary of any conformity to this world's wisdom if the churches are saying what the world is saying we must be on our guard Now, many people in modern, secular, Christ-rejecting Britain support charities. They feel quite happy about their own essential goodness. But they do not have hearts which are humbled before God. They do not have hearts which acknowledge their personal sinfulness. They do not have hearts which submit to God's revelation in Scripture. A mere profession of faith in Christ does not actually mean that someone has a new heart. Because following Christ, if there's a true work of grace in the heart, means standing apart from the crowd, leaving this world, rejecting the philosophies of men. That's what it means. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And so it is a sad reality that today, those who might claim outwardly to be Christians will not be spiritually circumcised. They will not be born again. Now, for some reason, many people like to say that they are Christians. But the number of those who are truly saved and separate from the world is, of course, much, much smaller. And the Bible makes it clear that a Christian profession has to be verified by holiness of life. That's the ultimate test. Holiness of life which will mean separation from the world. Matthew 15, verse 8. Now, the Lord is speaking here of the people of his day. Matthew 15, 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they went to the temple to worship, but their heart was far from God. And so simply being involved in Christian activity is no indication that one's heart is right with God. The people of our Lord's Day claimed to believe. They engage in religious activity, but they were outside of the kingdom of God. Our Lord even said that there may be those who have exercised miraculous powers who are nevertheless not truly saved. And Judas Iscariot is a prime example of that. He he, he had the power to cast out evil spirits, but he was not saved. Now, perhaps... The most obvious saying of our Lord which deals with this whole phenomenon is to be found in, in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 and following. Not one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Holiness is the test. Not even the exercise of miraculous powers is the test. It's holiness and separation from the world. Now, it is of course true that we never earn our way to heaven. Salvation is always by God's grace. Never by human merit. Yet, it is also true that faith without accompanying works of holiness, is a dead faith. Where there is true living faith, there will also be a love of God's law. A desire to increase in holiness of life. Because when there is living genuine Spirit-given faith, the Holy Spirit is working new life into that person. The person has been regenerated. He has a whole inward disposition which now wants to please God and keep his commandments. The Lord Jesus Christ called a man of genuine faith Nathaniel. he referred to him in the following way he said behold an Israelite indeed here was a man who was in the line of Abraham he was an Israelite ethnically but the Lord called him an Israelite indeed the real thing because in him was no God. John 1.47, an Israelite indeed in whom is no God. So the Lord was clearly implying that there were many circumcised Israelites. But they were not Israelites indeed. They were not the real thing. They did not know God at all. They had no circumcision of the heart. The Apostle John declares, He that saith, I know God and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so we have to tell both outward professing Christians who may be very lax in the way they live and the outright Non-believer, we have to tell them both that God looks into their hearts. And of course, we have to remind ourselves of that all the time as well. God looks into the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. The reins refer to our innermost being it's literally kidneys, from which we get the term renal unit I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings it is possible for men to deceive others but no one can deceive God about the true state of his or her heart Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of man. The Lord is constantly watching men and testing them, trying them. Reading into their hearts. Psalm 44 verse 21 Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. And this of course tells us that if someone is orientated to fashionable sins then that is sinful in God's sight. Even if the person might avoid the outward act because God looks on the heart our Lord tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that if a man lusts after a woman who's not his wife he has already committed adultery in his heart Matthew 9 verse 2 behold they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes, the very religious people, the religious leaders, said within themselves, they didn't say it out openly, they said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus said, knowing their thoughts, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Matthew 9.4 The Lord examines the heart. He sees every nook and cranny of our whole being and he's looking for purity. So may we, by God's grace be like Nathanael Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no God in other words the Lord was saying there is a real Christian so this passage has taught us that empty faith is a real phenomenon it is possible for people to be baptised and profess to follow Christ, but still to have an unregenerate heart. And so we must ensure that we are constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit in demonstration of the new life within us. We must ensure that we are serving Christ with renewed hearts In all holiness of life. Because that is the sign. That is the evidence of a true work of grace. We must ensure that we are never conforming. To the fashionable philosophies of this world. Because we are called to be separate. And so may the Lord be able to look at us and say, behold, a Christian indeed, in whom is no guile. Amen.